0: Amen. Well, thank you, Madison. Thank you, Praise Team. And we are blessed here at this church to be able to just be a part of a group of individuals who are using their talents to glorify God, to lead us in worship. I'm thankful for that. I hope you are, too. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're here now as we are opening up God's Word. I want to invite you to do that with me. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to conclude this second chapter today as we're just continuing working our way through this letter as Paul is writing it uh, while being in prison in Rome. As you're turning there in way of introducing our text this morning, I want to remind you that there are many unsung heroes of the faith. I want you to really think about that for a moment. There, There are many unsung heroes of the faith. What I mean by that is that there are countless individuals... Uh, in the Christian faith and in the Christian church that maybe aren't always in the spotlight and receive all the glory and all the praise, but make no mistake about it, they are fervently and joyfully working behind the scenes, serving Christ, serving others, and honestly, without them, ministry may not function the way that we perceive it to on Sundays or at least how God would want it to function. For example, I I can think of just a couple of individuals... Uh, in this church that I believe deserve this title, and that would be our deacons. Uh, in fact, they're probably going to hate me for this, but if you are an active deacon or even if you are an inactive deacon at this church or another church, would, would you just do something for me? Would you stand up for a moment? Please, can you just stand up if you're a, a deacon or an inactive deacon? Yeah, can we give them a round of applause? I know they're like, that's the last thing I want. Don't, don't bring all the All the spotlight on me, but seriously, these guys uh, have been such an important part of. I know my own life, my own ministry. As a as a very young pastor, Uh, I need men like this to help me grow as a leader, to help me lead out the functions of this church, and and I'm grateful for them. I'm hopeful that you are as well. But listen, the reason I'm bringing all that up to you today is not so that I can get brownie points with deacons. Okay, that might be a good idea for a pastor like myself, but. But the reason that I'm bringing this up to you this morning is because in a similar way, Paul had many unsung heroes of the faith that not only helped him grow as a leader or man of God, but really played a pivotal role behind the scenes in the overall success of his ministry as we read about in the scriptures today. Now, make no mistake about it, many of these people aren't talked a lot or aren't talked about a lot in Sunday school. Uh, in Bible studies, even in sermons, because truth be told, the Bible just doesn't give us a lot of instruction or doesn't say a lot about who these people were and what they were about and what their lives were, were all about. But what I love about Paul is that all throughout his letter, he actually gives little sh- what I'm going to call little shout outs to these individuals. For example, do something with me. Turn your Bible uh, to the next chapter. Okay, That's the book of Colossians. Just turn there real quick. I want to show you something that I think is going to help us to understand this. And and, and as you're turning there, Colossians 4 is where we're going to be real quick. But I want you just to see how Paul gives these little shout-outs to all of his his friends. And I want you to notice the names because I'm going to imagine for most of you, you probably have never heard of them before. At least you hardly ever do. But but look at what Paul says in Colossians 4, beginning in verse 7. Paul says, Tychicus... Our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you every, every, about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousins, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is also wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully uh, assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you for those in Laodicea and for those in Heropolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas... Send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. Typically, when we come to sections like this in our Bible, we have a tendency just to to skip... Write over them, or at the very least, just kind of read it half-heartedly, right? I mean, we don't know who those people are, let alone can we pronounce their names? I probably butchered all of them. I'll just be honest with you. But what we need to understand is that these individuals were dear friends of Paul. They meant something to him. Not only were they dear friends of Paul, but they, they served with Paul. They, they helped advance the gospel with Paul, And they greatly benefited Paul, yet oftentimes these characters in the Bible get overlooked in the Scriptures because much of their service, much of their ministry is done behind the scenes. Again, they would be categorized as the unsung heroes of the faith. Now I mentioned all of that to you this morning because as we come to this last section in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to introduce us to another unsung hero of the faith, and his name is Epaphroditus. Okay, say that word with me. Just say it one time. It's kind of fun to say, Epaphroditus. You can say it one more time. I didn't hear it all. Epaphroditus. It almost sounds like a medical condition, right? Like you go to your doctor and it's like, yes, son, you got a bad case of Epaphroditus. You know, I mean, that just just sounds terrible. Uh, But listen, all, all jokes aside, Right, Epaphroditus, it's not a medical condition, it is actually the name of a man that that Paul was friends with prior to his ministry in Rome, but but also especially in Rome, and he's the person that we're going to focus our time and attention on today. Now listen, before we dive into this section where it's going to be talking about this man, I, I believe it's just so very important that we again remind ourselves of what Paul has been spending really this entire chapter talking about again it's humility and it's serving others if you will look at these verses again I know I talk about them every week but it's just this is the point verses three and four these two verses sum up exactly what Paul is trying to say Paul says do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves everyone should look not to his own interest but rather to the interest of others so that's the principle The principle is humility. The principle is serving others. The principle is putting the interest of of others before your own. And then Paul gives us some examples of this principle in the rest of the chapter. He starts by giving us the perfect example, which is Christ. And so Paul says, beginning in verse 5, that we should adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Next, Paul gives himself as an example of humility and sacrifice and servanthood. And he himself says in verse 17, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And then as we saw last week, he gives the example of Timothy, as Paul says, beginning in verse 20 now, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know His proven character because He has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Okay, so again, in this chapter, the principle is humility. The principle is serving others. And then the examples are given for us to understand what this principle looks like in our everyday lives. Well, in the last section of chapter 2, Paul's going to give us one more person that acts as an example of those things. And again, his name is Epaphroditus, an unsung hero of the faith. So look with me now at what Paul says about him, beginning in verse 25. Paul says, but I considered it necessary to send you, there's the name Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again, when you see him, and I may be less anxious, therefore welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry for me. Now just as we did with Timothy last week, let me start our time today by giving you some, uh, a brief background of this man named Epaphroditus. Okay, and before I do that, just going to let you know Epaphroditus is mentioned this many times in the entire Bible, two times in the entire Bible, Epaphroditus is mentioned, both of those being in the book of Philippians. So there's just not a lot we know about this man. But what we do know, what we do know, or what we can put together at least, is that more than likely, Paul is the one that converted Epaphroditus when he first visited Philippi. For example, if you remember in my introductory sermons of this series like 10 months ago, I know. But if you remember in that sermon, I mentioned to you that the city of Philippi, which is where Epaphroditus lived, was almost exclusively pagan in that 99% of the people there worshipped something other than the one true God. So with that being said, it can be a fair assumption to make that Paul and his ministry team probably were the ones that shared the gospel with Epaphroditus, and obviously Epaphroditus became a Christian. He became a Christian. He began to to plug into the church that was there, the the church of Philippi, and he was a part of that early uh, church ministry as those early believers were making that church what it was or what it came to be later on. Okay, So we know that Epaphroditus was was an unbeliever for much of his life. We can assume that it was Paul and his ministry team that probably led him to the Christian faith. We know that he served in the church of Philippi, not as a pastor, but probably as a layperson. And then we also know, based on this passage of scripture we just read in Philippians, that, that Epaphroditus was sent by the church to minister to the apostle Paul while he was there under house arrest. Okay, more specifically, we know that Epaphroditus brought some type of, of offering to Paul on, on behalf of the church of Philippi, as Paul says in Philippians 4, look at, look at Philippians 4 real quick. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 18, this is the, other, the one other verse Epaphroditus is mentioned. Paul says, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Okay, so I just want you to just try to picture this all with me now, right? Epaphroditus is converted by Paul. He grows in his faith. He becomes a faithful member of First Baptist Church of Philippi, if you will. He is commissioned by the church to travel from Philippi to Rome, about 800 miles, about a three-month-long journey to give Paul an offering to to minister to him and to minister to others while Paul is in prison. And then going back to chapter 2, verse 25 now, Paul says, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. So what is happening now is that Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippian believers in Philippi. And Paul's reasoning for this is found in the verses that follow. Look again at what Paul says, beginning in verse 26. He says, Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So what Paul is telling us here is that at some point in Epaphroditus' journey, whether it was during his journey or whether it was while he was in Rome. At at some point, Epaphroditus got sick. In fact, he got really sick. He got so sick that he nearly died. However, Paul goes on to tell us that God healed him, that God had mercy on him. But now here's the problem. The Philippian believers don't know that. Okay, Epaphroditus obviously knows that. Paul obviously knows that. The Philippian believers don't know that. Okay, uh, apparently, and we don't know how all this works, okay? Let me just preface by saying that. But apparently, the Philippian believers had found out that their dear friend and church member was deathly ill. They had had somehow gotten word that he was sick. They had somehow gotten word that, that he was close to death. But they did not receive the word, at least not yet, that he had made a full recovery. So in essence, what's going on here in the text is that the Philippian believers are distressed about Epaphroditus' well-being, and because the Philippian believers are distressed about his well-being, Epaphroditus becomes distressed that they're distressed and longs to reunite and be with them. And so, as a result of all this, Paul's just seeing all this take place, Paul decides the best thing to do, the best thing to do is probably just to send Epaphroditus right on back to Philippi. Most likely, get this, most likely with the letter of, the, of, of Philippians. his hand I, i believe epaphroditus is the reason we get to read philippians i believe he was actually the messenger of this book and so he tells them to receive epaphroditus with honor receive epaphroditus with praise because he he risked his life for the sake of christ he deserves to be welcomed back home as a hero of the faith all right so that's a little bit of background information a very kind of quick synopsis of this passage but But having said that now, what I really want us to do today is this. I want to highlight to you four things. Four things about Epaphroditus, which, again, I think are going to exemplify what it means to be humble, what it means to serve others before yourselves. Again, that's the whole point of this passage. That's what Paul wants us to see. So if you're taking notes, make sure to jot these down because the first thing that I I want you to see about Epaphroditus in this passage is this is his character. Number one, his character. Look with me again at verse 25 as Paul highlights this for us. Paul says, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. We've we've talked about that, but now now look at the titles he gives them as these highlight the type of man Epaphroditus was in the eyes of Paul. Paul says, he is my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs. So right off the bat, Paul introduces us to Epaphroditus, and immediately he gives us a glimpse of the type of man he was, the type of character he had by, by giving us these three titles that I want us to look at. So let's, let's talk about these titles for a moment. And let's start with the first one first, which is the title of a brother. Title of brother. In other words, Paul and Epaphroditus, they had a common spiritual life where they considered each other brothers. A question for you. Let me just phrase this for you. Did you know that the Bible does not teach the universal brotherhood of man? The Bible does not teach the universal brotherhood of man. For example, if you are a child of God, then a person who is not a Christian, spiritually speaking, is not your brother. Yeah, they're not your brother. Now, let me just clarify in saying that because I'm not saying... Uh, that they're not your brother, and that we are all created beings, and that we all have a common stock from Adam, and that we were all created by God in our mother's womb. So we share those commonalities with each other. But my point is that while that's true, spiritually speaking, that doesn't mean that they're your brother unless they too are a born-again believer. See, I point that out to you today because today's culture teaches especially us guys to come up to another guy and say, hey, bro, what's up, bro? How you doing, bro? Right? And listen, that's fine. Okay, that's, that's fine, all I guess. But what we need to understand is that unless that bro is a fellow bro in Christ, then they are not actually your bro. Instead, that title is only reserved for our fellow brothers and sisters in christ because we share a spiritual bond we share a spiritual family that unites us together as believers you see this actually brings up an even more practical point that i want to bring to your mind today and that is this you need to get along with your brothers and sisters in christ because you're stuck with them forever just let that sink in you need you need to get along with your brothers and sisters in christ because You are stuck with them forever. And listen, in one sense, I I say that jokingly, but while it may seem humorous to you and I, we need to recognize and realize that it's true. And please follow me here, because, because heaven is going to be a very diverse place. Let me say that one more time. Heaven, I believe, is going to be a very diverse place. There's going to be people there that don't look like you, there's going to be people there that don't have the same skin color as you. I believe there's going to be people there that didn't always perfectly line up with your political views here on earth. I believe there's even going to be people there that maybe you disagreed on some theological things when it came to more trivial stuff. But you know what we're all going to have in common in heaven? We're going to have a love and a devotion towards God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. We're going to be united in that sense because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here's the point that you and I need to understand today. Not only should we get along with each other and have a close and intimate bond in heaven, and we will, but we should also live that out while we walk together in this life on this earth today and guess what for paul and epaphroditus that's what they did they were brothers in christ but not only were they brothers in christ there was also uh, epaphroditus was also a co-worker of paul in other words not only did they have a, a common spiritual life but they also shared a common spiritual labor and that was to advance the gospel and the kingdom of god Now listen, we've talked a lot about this some already, so I'm going to be kind of brief right here. But again, Epaphroditus was a co-worker of Paul in that he was the one sent by the church of Philippi to give Paul this offering to minister to Paul while he was in chains. And can I just say, you and I need friends like that. We need friends like that. We need friends who are not only willing to go to great lengths, to minister to us in times of need. But we need friends who we can lock arms with and say, hey, let's do ministry together. Let's share the gospel together. Let's do that together. You see, that again is what Epaphroditus did. He laid his life on the line. He traveled 800 miles to Rome all so that he could minister to Paul and as a result of that helped Paul minister to others and so he was a co-worker of Christ. So he's a brother, he's a co-worker, but now thirdly, and related to that, Epaphroditus was also a fellow soldier of Paul. So follow me here, right? Common spiritual life as brothers, common spiritual labor as co-workers, and now Paul tells us common spiritual enemy, that being Satan. So they're fellow soldiers as they battle him and his forces together, specifically in Rome. Let me just pause here for a moment and remind you, That if you are a child of God, then you are at war with the enemy. Not only does Satan and his forces hate you as a Christian, but he wants to see you suffer. He wants to see you be in affliction. He wants you to be tormented, and ultimately fall away from the Christian faith. The Bible tells us that his main mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible tells us that he is like a roaring lion seeking for anyone that he can devour. And so if that's true, and by the way it is, then like Epaphroditus did with Paul, we need to team up with each other and realize that we are stronger when we are together. We are stronger when we stand together and help shield each other from the fiery darts that Satan throws at us, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 16. And again, that's the type of relationship that Epaphroditus had with Paul. He was a friend of Paul's. He was a spiritual brother of Paul's. He was a co-worker of Paul's. Paul tells us he was also a a fellow soldier of Paul, and he stood with him and fought with him at his side. Okay, so Epaphroditus, he was a very balanced Christian. Paul shows us this. He had a lot of different character traits, a lot of different attributes that were admirable, but he was also a very burdened Christian. And that leads me to the second thing that I want you to see in this text, which again is his concern, Epaphroditus' concern. Look with me at what Paul says now, beginning in verse 26. Paul says, Since he has been longing for all of you, and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, this really is the heart of the passage that Paul wants us to see here because notice again what Paul says about Epaphroditus in verse 26. Paul says he has been longing for all of you. That's the Philippian believers and he was distressed because he heard that he was sick. So like I mentioned to you before, Epaphroditus, he travels to Rome to be with Paul, to minister to Paul, but at some point, right, he gets sick, almost to the point of death. Now again, Paul tells us in verse 27, ultimately he recovers. Ultimately, he's, he's healed, but the, again, the Philippian believers, they don't know that so Epaphroditus becomes distressed because they're distressed and he longs to be with them because they long to be with him. Now the reason I'm emphasizing that so much to you right here is because Epaphroditus is modeling what, ta- what Paul taught about humility and caring for others more than yourself. For example, I know that I make you read this passage over and over again these past few weeks, but just notice What Paul says in verses 3 and 4 again, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now I want you to take note, that is exactly what Epaphroditus is doing. Again, he gets sick. He recovers from his sickness. He's fine, but because his church family becomes distressed about his well-being, he longs to be with them. He's considering about their own interests before his own. He wants to comfort them. He wants to to give them peace. Now, church, that's just a great example of humility. That's a great example of someone who's not just looking out for their own interests, but rather to the interest of others, as Paul mentions in verse 4. Again, he is a very compassionate Christian, but also a very concerned Christian. And there's a lot that I think you and I can apply to our own lives today. But now notice how Paul responds to all of this. Because you see, he sees, he's seeing all this being played out. He sees Epaphroditus in distress. He hears reports of the Philippian church longing to reunite with him. And so Paul decides the best thing that he can do in this situation is to to send Epaphroditus back to, to Philippi. And what I want you to notice here is how Paul chooses to do this. You see, Paul could have criticized Epaphroditus for having these emotions, for having these desires, but instead he chooses to commend him. Instead, that's the third application I want you to see in this text, that this commendation. And so look with me now at how Paul does this, beginning in verse 28. Paul says, For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor." One commentator said this about this passage that I think sums it up so great. I want to read it to you. He says this. He says, Easing the mind of his dearly beloved Philippians and imparting them gladness of heart meant more to Paul than any personal service that he might have been able to derive from Epaphroditus. You see, this is a great act of of, of grace, what Paul is doing right here. It's It's very commendable. Again, it just further shows us what it it means to be humble. What it means to consider the interest of others before your own. Because you see, Paul would have had every right to come up to Epaphroditus and say, No, you're staying with me. You were sent here by the church to come to my aid. And last time I checked, I'm still in chains. I still need you, Epaphroditus. I need you in those ways. I don't know about you. But that's exactly probably the tendency that I would have had to say, no, Epaphroditus, you're not going anywhere. But instead, Paul's greatest concern and really his greatest joy was to send Epaphroditus back so that he and the rest of the church could reunite together and experience joy instead. Church, that is Paul living out verses 3 and 4 firsthand, but it goes even deeper than that. Because not only does Paul choose to do this, But he does it in a way that's not looking out for his own interest, but rather for the interest of Epaphroditus. In other words, even though he got reports that the church of Philippi longed to be with Epaphroditus again, Paul was concerned about how the Philippian church would receive him. For example, he he was worried that some of the church members may come up to him and just say, you wuss, like you left early. Like, you're soft. You're weak. You had a mission, and you came home early. That's wrong. They could have said all those things. And so Paul, writing this letter and sending it back with him, says, I'm going to make sure I'm going to include in this passage to not welcome him home as a coward, but to welcome him home as a champion of the faith instead. For example, notice the wording He uses in verse 29, he says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. In other words, he's saying, don't just focus and dwell on his flaws. Don't just focus and dwell on his shortcomings. But instead, focus on all the good he has done on my behalf. And most importantly, focus on all the good he has done to advance the kingdom of God. Now, church family, the application for us here is this. When we interact with other believers who have made a great sacrifice for others, who have made a great sacrifice for the glory and the kingdom of God, our first inclination should not be to criticize them, but to commend them. For example, the next time, I don't know when it's going to happen, but the next time that we have a missionary come and speak at our church, I want you to go up to that missionary I want you to shake their hand. I want you to give them a good and godly hug for their service. They've committed at least a large portion of their life to leave everything they know behind to to serve others and to serve the Lord. And so let's not be quick to criticize them when they come home. Let's not be quick to, to point out all their flaws and all their shortcomings, but instead commend them and their ministry because they have been faithful soldiers for Christ. See, that's what Paul is saying to the Philippian church. He's saying, welcome back, Epaphroditus. Honor him. Commend him, for he has sacrificed much for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. And so that leads me to the final thing that I want to highlight to you today about this man of God named Epaphroditus, and that is this, his commitment. His commitment. Look with me one last time in our text as as Paul says these concluding words about him in verse 30. Paul says, Commend him because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So in this last verse, Paul closes by giving his reasons as to why we should commend Epaphroditus. He actually has three of them. First, Paul wants us to notice that Epaphroditus, he he worked for Christ. He worked for Christ. My question for you this morning is, do you? Do you? Do you work for the glory of Christ? See, there's no indication in Scripture that Epaphroditus was an apostle. There's no indication in Scripture that that Epaphroditus was a pastor. There's no indication in Scripture that Epaphroditus was an an elder or a deacon. No, it is instead believed that Epaphroditus was what you and I would call a layperson. Epaphroditus, he probably worked a normal job like you and me. He, He probably had a normal family like you and me. Yet he didn't use any of that as an excuse to work for Christ, and he leveraged his life all for the glory of God. See, what I want you to begin to understand this morning is this. There is no division in the Lord's economy between the sacred and the secular. Jot that down. That's important. There is no division in the Lord's economy between the sacred and the secular. In other words, what I mean by that, is that even though Epaphroditus was a layperson and that he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a deacon, he still was sent out. He still willingly was sent out to build up the kingdom of God. And Paul commends him for that. See, what that means for you today is this. Even though you are not called to be a full, full-time pastor like I am, you are still called by God to be a minister of the gospel If you are a truck driver, if you are a plumber, if you are a a teacher, if you are a businessman, if you are a construction worker, if you are a farmer, if you are a doctor, if you are a full-time mom, the list can go on and on and on. Church family, you can and you should Serve the Lord in those things. Whatever your occupation is, your first calling as a believer is to serve the Lord. And so let's look to Epaphroditus as an example of this, as he used his life as a platform to serve others, and more importantly, to serve God. Secondly, Epaphroditus did this. He he risked his life for Christ. Paul says we should commend this man because he risked his life for Christ. In fact, if you look at verse 30, I can't go into this too much because we don't have time, but, but that phrase, see that phrase, risking his life? See that phrase? It's actually better translated in the Greek as he gambled his life. In fact, one of the nicknames for Epaphroditus, if you want to look into this later on, is that he was, he was the gambler of God. And, and what I mean by that is that he literally put his life on the line. He gambled his life all for the sake of others all for the sake of Christ. And so let me just ask you, are you risking your life? Or are, you, are you gambling your life all for the sake of Christ and others? Or are you living a life of ease and luxury and comfort? See, the Bible is chock full. It's chock full of people who are willing to, to lay their lives on the line, who are willing to take great risks. For example, take David. David had absolutely no guarantee that he would defeat Goliath. Nowhere in Scripture do you see David have a holy huddle with God, telling him, listen, this is what's going to happen, everything's going to work out smooth. None of that took place. No, David simply felt compelled by the Spirit of God that he was the guy to defeat Goliath, and so he took the risk. He slayed the giant, and God gave him the reward. Or how about Queen Esther? Queen Esther was a queen in a very pagan place. Queen Esther quickly realized that she was going to have to take a great risk if she was going to save her people. And so she takes this risk by overstepping her bounds, by trying to persuade the king to spare God's people from destruction, which, by the way, would have been a suicide mission, yet God rewards her for it because she took the risk. And now look at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, he, he risked his life. He lays his life on the line by travelingly, 800 miles, a three-month-long journey. He gets sick during that stint. He gets sick so much that he almost dies. And therefore, Paul says we should commend him, for he gambled his life all for the sake of me, all for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of Christ. So Epaphroditus, he worked for Christ. He risked his life for Christ. And I'll close today by giving you one more reason why Paul says we should thank him, and that is this. He filled a void for the ministry of Christ. Epaphroditus, he filled a void for the ministry of Christ. You see, I can just picture the Philippian church being concerned about Paul. Remember, they, they love Paul. Paul loved them. We have talked about that in chapter 1. They know that Paul's held in prison. They know that times are tough for Paul. And so I can just picture the Church of Philippi coming together and saying, "What should we do? How can we help out our dear friend, our dearly beloved Paul? What, what can we do?" And so they decide to take up some type of love offering. So they have service, kind of like we're having today. People come up, they begin to pass the offering plates row by row. The the money begins to collect. And then after the service is done, I can just see them all kind of huddling together. And they're counting up the money. They're seeing how much they were able to collect. But then they begin to awkwardly stare at each other. Because they realize that while this is great, somebody's going to have to travel 800 miles to give this to Paul. And listen, I know this is not recorded anywhere in the Scripture, so this is just my take on this passage. But I can just imagine church member after church member giving excuse after excuse. As to why they can't be the ones that go. They may say, oh, well, you know, I got, I got so much going on right now, I just don't think I can. Or, oh, I just, I just don't feel called to that. I feel called to give, but I don't actually feel called to go. Excuse after excuse. But then I can picture someone in the back just raising their hand. He says, I'll go. I'll go. I'll be the one who, who makes this trek on Paul's behalf. I'll be the one who puts the life, puts my life on the line, all for the sake of the glory of God. And I can imagine, oh, Pastor Daddis, are you sure? Yeah, I've. I've thought about it and prayed about it and God's just put this on my heart. What does your wife think? Well, she's concerned but she supports me. I'm willing to go. Willing to go. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to be sent. church's name is Epaphroditus and he should be considered a hero of the faith. He may only have two verses in this Bible but listen, he impacted Paul He impacted the Philippian church, and he's impacting us today. That's a hero of the faith. His name is Epaphroditus, and I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, sure, I want to shake Paul's hand, but I want to say, Paul, where's Epaphroditus? Because I want to thank him for his service. I want to thank him for bringing this letter back home so that I can read it right now. Church, his name is Epaphroditus. And we ought to look to his life as an example of humility as an example of what it means to put the interest of others before your own. Let's pray.